You're listening to episode 88 of Chirps, a St. Louis Cardinals podcast for Birds in the Black. He's Alex. I'm Tara. The Cardinals have played another full week of baseball, and Paul Goldschmidt is leading the charge and the MLB leaderboards. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. This is the second show in as many weeks where we're actually watching baseball happen as we're recording this show, which is fun for us and hopefully fun for you in hearing some of our reactions to things as they happen in the game. But it also does sort of present a a weird time warp where when you're listening to this on Wednesday morning or later in the week, we're talking about things as they're happening in the game. But hopefully it's a little bit of fun context for what we're seeing and what we're reacting to as we go along recording the show. I'm Tara along with Alex again this week. Alex, I got to say doing back-to-back shows where we are in fact watching a game and right now I'm watching Tommy Edmond drive in a couple of runs against the Kansas City Royals in the third inning. It's almost one of the most normal things. One of the things that has felt the most normal, I guess, is doing multiple shows that actually go like they're supposed to for us. <laughs> does that seem does that seem fair to say at this point that it just feels like, huh? We're actually getting two shows in a row where there's baseball happening. (laughs) It's funny you say that because I was thinking earlier before we jumped on how much I sort of miss this. This is fun talking to you while there's a game on in the background. Uh, We we have a bit of uh, difficulty because you're always a few pitches behind and I'm I'm not good at holding in my emotions when something big happens. So I will scream and give... I'll give a hint that something big is on the way, but no, I I agree. I enjoy this and I I miss this. It's just nice having it here. It's a nice little backdrop to whatever it is that we're talking about. And I don't know, it's kind of fun to have those little interjections and then the awkward pause of me going, wait, I haven't seen it yet. So (laughs) it's nice to have that sort of normalcy back in our lives a little bit. But the other thing that has been more normal this week is that They've just played like single games, which seems very strange after that initial comeback weekend. And I still think that there's some sort of mindset about a single nine inning game feeling longer than two seven inning games. I still feel like that's a thing. And I don't I don't have any better explanation for it this week than I did last week. (laughs) I agree. I'm also trying to condition myself because this is how things are that like, look, we are not, what's Cardinals record right now? Have they played what, 17 games or whatever? I'm trying to convince myself like, look, we are not 18 games into the season. Rather, we are 42 or 40 games (laughs) away from the season ending. Because that's a big difference in terms of how baseball typically works. Uh, You know, three games behind the Cubs means means a bit of a different thing depending on how you're, you know, approaching that. So I I need to remember that, like, yeah, there really isn't a ton of baseball left. And I was laughing earlier because remember the idea that the owners floated earlier um, during, I guess, the offseason, we can call it, was when, was for 48 games? Yeah. <laughs> that would have seemed ridiculous now. Think of, like, if you're the Reds or the Brewers, you, are, you would already feel like you have no chance of winning the division after yeah. – uh, about 20 games played and being just a couple games under 500. Um, yeah. 
Well, so, it is wild looking at the standings and seeing so many teams under 500. And Daniel Shapta and I were talking about this on Sunday that normally that wouldn't be a problem if you're 12 and 15, for example. But there's so many more games left to sort of reconcile what that 12 and 15 turns into. The Cardinals right now coming into this game on uh, Tuesday evening are 10 and 8. But they're 8 and 5 since they came back from that long layoff, which I think is pretty solid <laughs> in a lot of the the things that could have gone wrong there. So um, yeah, it, it is strange to think about how much of the season has already gone by and obviously less so for the Cardinals, which adds to that mental gymnastics that you have to do to try to compare between what they're doing and what other teams are doing or when you look at stats and, and try to figure out how to use them to analyze anything real at this point. But yeah, 48 games would have been practically pointless in trying to determine the best team in baseball because that's just not how anything else in baseball is determined and ooh, that would have been that would have been uh, it's hard to imagine anything being more strange than this the way that this season has gone but that that probably would have been it well it's funny because the cardinals have played 18 games this is uh the game we're watching right now is their 19th game and Per Fangrass, they have a 76% chance of making the playoffs. And frankly, I'm a little surprised it's not higher. And, and that's just <laughs> after 18 games, and they're only two games above 500. I, I feel like they're a lock. It feels like, you know what, having seen the Reds, having watched what the Brewers and the Pirates have done against other opponents in the NL Central, it doesn't really feel like. Now, obviously, crazy things happen in a normal baseball yeah, season. Yeah, I'm, I'm really going like to regret saying that thing about yeah. it being a lot. But, but, yeah, go ahead. But it does, it does feel like the Cubs and the Cardinals have looked a little bit different as far as their competitiveness in the NL Central. And look, when two teams get in, you don't have to look like the best team in baseball you just have to look like one of the top teams and right now that there appears to be a distinction between one and two and the rest of the division now again the cardinals are several games behind those other teams so who knows what's going to happen in that regard but they have a lot of things kind of trending in a good direction for them right now we'll talk about some of that in a little bit but uh it's strange nonetheless to feel like we're halfway through the season, almost a little more than halfway for some teams. And oof, we just we just got started. <laughs> this is only the second show in a row where we've been able to talk about baseball. So uh, not as much left to talk about as it might feel like there should be. Before we dive into what else is going on with the Cardinals as well, we saw Paul Go Paul Goldschmidt in this inning. Oh, goodness. Now I'm just seeing what's happening as yeah. this inning is falling apart for the Royals, throwing the baseball all over the place. And the Cardinals have scored a couple more runs. So it's 4-2 now, Cardinals over the Royals. Matt Harvey pitching for the Royals, which is weird to me. I don't know why that's so strange that Matt Harvey landed <laughs> in Kansas City. But nonetheless, Paul Goldschmidt was a part of that inning as he has been of most of the scoring opportunities for the Cardinals since their return. We're going to talk about him in just a little bit because he deserves to be talked about in a pretty significant way. But before we do that, last week on the show, we talked a little bit about the situation with Fernando Tatis Jr. and the unwritten rules and how weird all of that gets. And Alex, I don't know exactly what your your breakthrough moment has been, but I'm excited to hear what your uh, follow-up to that conversation is this week. 
All right. So I told Tara before we recorded that I wanted to return to this because I had a new idea of how we need to address these situations. And I apologize for returning to something that not only have most of us forgotten about, but I think most of us wanted to forget about it. It was kind of more of an annoying story than anything. Um, But Tara, here's what I think the problem is. The term unwritten rules has now entered that lexicon of becoming such a buzzword that no matter the circumstances, the minute you hear that phrase, you've kind of already made your mind up about how you feel Mm. about the situation. Like when was the last time you, I don't know if this is the best example, but saw the words like cancel culture, whether it was being used in earnest or being used uh, sarcastically and thought to yourself like, this is something I really need to read. Because when I see those words <laughs> sure. now, I just was like, all right, I'm not paying any attention to that. Um, and, and I mean this kind of from both sides. Well, I think the term unwritten rules has kind of reached that status. I think we've reduced it to an area where it's basically devoid of meaning. And so what I propose when now a player does something that is not against an official rule, but maybe raises these sorts of eyebrows instead of calling it unwritten rules or did he break an unwritten rule instead we just ask ourselves was this guy being a jerk <laughs> okay all right so forget about the term unwritten rules like just throw them in the garbage can and now and i think there should be like a five point scale whenever something like this happens because again no rules are broken here but you can you know, you can be perfectly within the confines of legality and still being do something wrong or act like a jerk. So was this guy being a jerk? And so applying that to Fernando Tatis and last week, that whole brouhaha, I give Fernando Tatis a one on a five-point scale of was he being a jerk, which is more than zero. He was doing something slightly above maybe the norm, maybe. But not, in the, but one is the bare minimum of even landing on the scale, and that means we shouldn't care about it, and we certainly shouldn't be talking about it a couple of days later. And basically, he did absolutely nothing wrong, and so he is therefore, I guess, cleared of being a jerk. And again, he did nothing wrong by this standard, in my opinion. And I would say also the pitcher, and I've already forgot his name, and I'm happy that I did. I don't even remember who did it. Whoever threw behind. I don't remember who he threw behind. Was it Machado? I think so, yeah. Okay. I would give that guy a four on the scale of was he being a jerk. Uh, So that guy was being a jerk. Uh, Tatis was barely being a jerk at all. And from here on out, I don't want to hear about the unwritten rules, but rather just look at it from a common sense standpoint of, is this guy being a jerk? And I think we can then actually get to the bottom of this stuff rather than have 10 paragraphs wasted on what unwritten rules mean or doesn't mean, what it conveys. Is it some sort of virtue signaling or stuff like that? (laughs) That's all I wanted to say about it. I'm tired, tired, tired of hearing the phrase unwritten rules. I can get behind that. I think that that's sort of the updated version of respecting the game (laughs) that has some sort of sliding scale attached, but the, the foundational question is a good one, I think. Was this guy trying to be a jerk? And if so, was it really like 
a serious infraction on that scale or just kind of a showboat move. And then you can go from there. I like it. I think that baseball should adopt it. And I think you can also be a jerk without necessarily trying to be a jerk, if that makes sense. Like, I don't think Tatis was like purposely saying, I'm going to act like a jerk here. Um, sure. And again, I give him a one on the scale of was he being a jerk. Um, so he, he barely was, if at all, anyway. But that doesn't mean someone still can't be a jerk, even though they weren't setting out to act like a jerk. There's some intent involved <laughs> in maybe how high you go on sure, the scale. Yeah, yeah. But that does make a difference. Yeah, yeah. That does yeah. make a big difference. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. But you can uh, still well, land on the scale. You can still land somewhere on the scale without intent, but you're probably right. not going to land very high. You can be an accidental jerk versus an intentional jerk. And that's maybe the <laughs> yes. the the ends of the spectrum there. Um, either way, I do think that that makes a lot more sense than trying to dissect some version of unwritten rules that are really just, you do it this way because that's how we've done it before. And that's not a great premise for any sort of argument. So uh, the jerk scale <laughs> uh, in Major League Baseball is now the thing that I'm going to think about every time someone does something that is questionable. And maybe it'll change how I think about some of those reactions. Um, but if you have any ideas about that situation or the Joe Kelly situation or other situations Ooh, that wait, have come up in recent days. What would you give Joe Kelly? I was just trying to think that, and then I didn't ask it because I didn't know how I would answer. Um, okay, solid, so here's solid three in my at least. Yeah, I I would probably go a three on on the Joe Kelly thing because here's where it gets tricky. <laughs> he was reacting to something to a situation that was like off the charts negative on the jerk scale as far as the Astros cheating, whatever. So mm -hmm. that was the the premise of his action, which then I don't know how you uh, include that in what his actions were, but he also didn't actually hit anybody and he's known for being a little bit out of control. So yeah, probably a three, probably a three on the scale, but more in line with like, I'm kind of okay with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I had a little more problem with it than you did, I think. That's fair. But yeah, he's I don't want to quite give him a four, but maybe, I don't know, I don't want to make it a 10-point scale, so I have to choose doing three or four, but I'll, I'll <laughs> give him a three. But look, when, do you remember back in 2013 when he did that national anthem standoff with, I think, Scott? Bams, I do, like, yes. So thinking back to then, did you have any idea then that he was like this tough guy or, or who... Could masquerade you know, as a tough guy because I did not. I thought the exact no, opposite. No, I don't think that would have come out as dramatically had he stayed in St. Louis. I think uh. going to Boston sort of gave him the freedom to be that guy, <laughs> at least to that extreme. And I don't know if we ever would have seen it quite like that. I think he would have been, it, it would have had more of a comedic flair than the tough guy you know, come at me, bro, kind of thing, just because of the way things were run in St. Louis at the time. The dynamic of the team was very different than in Boston, where that attitude is a little more prevalent and certainly more accepted and even even praised by the fan base. I don't know that it really would have come off the same way in St. Louis. So I've thought about that before, that I didn't know he really had that 
particularly aggressive side to him. And I don't know if we would have seen it in St. Louis. Yeah, I think I agree with you. That's a, that's a good way of putting it. Uh, because I guess, I mean, I didn't know about it until he, he plunked that Yankee, whoever it was, then yeah. you know, challenged him to come out and fight him. Uh, and that's, like what happened. And, you know, from, I don't think anyone really won or lost the fight, but from like the little snippets we saw, it kind of looked like Joe Kelly got the best of the guy. I don't know. Uh, but I agree with you. I think that's a good way of looking at it. I think that may be why I always find it so comical is because I knew Joe Kelly as this kind of goofy guy who came up through the system and was the prankster. And then to see him (laughs) threatening to fight guys, it just always comes off very, very entertaining to me, which maybe isn't how he's intending it. But that's that's how I interpret it based on the the early days of Joe Kelly in St. Louis. But nonetheless, he definitely lands somewhere middle of the pack on the scale. And I think he's probably okay with that. (laughs) So as far as the current Cardinals are concerned, as I mentioned, we want to talk about Paul Goldschmidt because he deserves to be talked about. And I saw someone on Twitter today saying, you know, if he played for a a different team or if he played on one of the coasts, he would be a household name. And I wanted to say, well, Mike Trout probably knows that feeling a little bit. Uh, First of all, before we get, get to Paul Goldschmidt, one comment. How are the Angels still so bad? I, I don't just, know. I don't I, understand they it. They have the worst record in baseball, right? If, if yeah, I understand it, uh, nine and twenty-one entering entering tonight. Yeah, uh, they played thirty games. That seems like a lot. Uh, it does. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know how they're so bad. I, but then again, I haven't really. It was a long time ago when I read their chapter in the baseball. <laughs> <reference>. <laughs> so, a lot has changed. I mean, since I'm then. sorry. The baseball prospectus annual uh, that seems so long ago. Um, uh, so yeah, I, I really don't know. I don't. I don't either. I don't have an answer to that question. Was oh, it really? On. Paul Goldschmidt's not a household name. Are we talking like baseball households or just regular households? I wasn't entirely sure the context of that, but I think the point was we'd be talking a lot more nationally. They'd be talking a lot more about what Paul Goldschmidt is doing if you know perhaps he played for a, a larger contender team. I don't know, but I also think there's something to the fact that they've only played 18 games. <laughs> 19 games after tonight. So there right. just ha- isn't as much ground to discuss or, or it's a little harder to maybe buy into what they're doing at this point. But this is a Cardinals podcast and we're watching him do great things. So we're going to talk about it. Paul Goldschmidt is uh, coming into this game. I believe his his batting average was 360 plus. His on-base percentage is over 500. And he seems to be involved in every big scoring inning, whether it's from a getting on base perspective to a two run homer perspective, this looks like the Paul Goldschmidt that we were hoping to see when the Cardinals brought him to St. Louis. We didn't necessarily see consistently last year. Do you feel like this is more representative of Paul Goldschmidt than what we saw in 2019? Well, sort of. And yeah, I certainly hope so. Uh, and I'll explain why I said sort of in a second. But it does seem like he's taken really good at bats, having a really good approach yeah. to the play. I, I know this stuff typically uh, stabilizes uh, earlier than most, but you know his. Uh, but I still don't know what to make of it because it's so early. But his he's only striking out fifteen percent of the time versus uh, above twenty four percent last year. He's walking almost twenty two percent of his plate appearances up from 11.5 last year. Uh, so that right there feels very big. Um, 
the reason why I said sort of is because I was, and this has been pointed out by several people, but I, I wanted to look at the exact numbers uh, starting from, because people talk about how he kind of picked it up in the second half last year. So I wanted yeah. to look at his numbers starting from basically the all-star break last year um, until entering today. And, and that covers 378 plate appearances, so more than half a season. A slash line that looks like 285, 379 on base, 542 slugging, good for 142 WRC+. plus. That's basically his career stats. Like That's basically Paul Goldschmidt. His career stats yeah. entering tonight are is 293, 393 on base, 525 slugging, and an identical 142 WRC+. Plus. So that kind of feels big to me that, you know, maybe uh, I'm sure, you know, people can have all these theories about, well, you know, you want to prove yourself when you go to a new city, especially when you sign an extension before you even play. Uh, maybe that had something to do with his slow start. I remember we were pretty concerned last year, weren't we, about uh, his uh, approach in terms of he was seen to be striking out a lot more. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Although it wasn't that different at all from his 2018 with the Diamondbacks. Um, but he kind of looked a lot more lost, I guess, at the mm-hmm. plate than yeah. I think a lot of us were expecting from him. But, you know, we talked about how, you know, the team lost Azuna. They, they lost to Jose Martinez, um, two uh, perfectly flawed players, but also two of their better bats uh, from last year and how, you know, they didn't really replace them with much. Um, but one of those things I think that was always there is like, well, Paul Goldschmidt could have more of a Paul Goldschmidt-like year. Right. Uh, and that makes a big difference. Because last year, last season, he only, I, I th- think he finished the season like 116 WRC+, plus, which is fine unless you're Paul Goldschmidt. You know, that's good, but not for Paul mm-hmm. Goldschmidt. So th- this could be very big for the, the team. Uh, that's what this team needs. <laughs> you know, because I, I still... You know, I'm still worried a little bit about the offense. They can just look dead at times. Uh, you know, we're not going to play the Royals every night. Uh, so this sort of production from Paul Goldschmidt feels exactly like what this team needs. And I still like watching him play first base. It's still so nice to have a competent, uh, better than competent fielder at first. So, yes, this this is looking pretty good. I, I know we're only in year two, and he's going to be with the team until, I think, through his age 36 season. So we still have... A long way to go in the Paul Goldschmidt era, but it's I'm very satisfied right now. Yeah, it's definitely good to see. And it's nice with the way that they've structured the lineup more often than not to have that punch where there hasn't always been in the last, I don't know, handful of seasons and to finally see, oh, this is what it's supposed to look like <laughs> when someone the uh, with the offensive prowess that Paul Goldschmidt has is hitting in that three spot. Uh in light of the rest of baseball right now, which I'll be honest, I've had a hard time kind of keeping track of who's doing what in the rest of baseball, simply because it's been so complicated trying to keep track of what's happening in in the Cardinals world. But just looking at at some leaderboards, Paul Goldschmidt is tied for the second best WRC plus so far behind Nelson Cruz and tied with guess what? Luke Voigt. of the New York Yankees. So that's fascinating. He also leads all uh, qualified hitters in that uh, on-base percentage, which I mentioned, weighted on-base average. Uh, I think he's second, again, just barely in walk percentage. And 
all of those things lead to him looking like the offensive supercharge that this team needed. And the thing that has been interesting to watch is that I think, you know, we talk about Paul Goldschmidt and his ability to hit, right? Whether it's driving runs in or hitting monster home runs or whatever. But that walk percentage is really interesting to me because it kind of highlights what you were saying to begin with is that last year, it wasn't necessarily that he was striking out significantly more than he had at other times in his career, but it was like he was striking out on pitches that he shouldn't be striking out on so often, whether it was a a fastball over the plate or it looked like he was guessing so often or whatever it was. So those walks to me are such an indication of his approach at the plate right now that seems like an improvement. Now, the caveat to that is the replacement players at times that the Cardinals have had in the mix since coming back from their layoff, meaning Paul DeYoung wasn't hitting behind Paul Goldschmidt all the time. There wasn't necessarily the significant threat in the cleanup spot every game. Um, it, he, They were talking tonight on the broadcast before we started recording that he may have been pitched around a, a bit more this season to begin with. Mm. So that's where you look for some of those numbers to maybe stabilize as you go on throughout the season, get some of those regulars back into place, whether it's Paul, uh, Paul DeYoung or even you know Matt Carpenter continuing to hit as well as he has, which isn't you know lighting the world on fire, but it's it's more consistent than it was last year. And so you put some of those pieces back in play. Maybe you see some of that, see him challenged a little bit more. But it, it still, the point remains, I think, that what we've seen from him so far, based on those numbers, as well as based on what you just see watching him at the plate, he looks like a completely different hitter just from a comfort standpoint. And, you know, that's a a, a really hard to quantify thing <laughs> when you're talking about what's made a hitter better. But whether that's, you know, his comfort level with Jeff Albert and what's going on from the hitting instruction in St. Louis or just, you know, year two with a program that he was, you know, getting used to last year. He he looks like he's not ever in question of what it is that he's doing at the plate. And, you know, he's in a position to take advantage of pitchers who want to try to pitch around him. And then he he tends to be a pretty smart base runner, even if he's not the most agile, <laughs> but he does play a part in in generating some scoring opportunities. So that was sort of a long-winded way to say, I still don't know what to make of these numbers <laughs> because it's only been 18 games, but what we've seen so far seems to bode well for Paul Goldschmidt being the guy the Cardinals thought they were getting, which, let's be honest, would be a change of pace from some of the Cardinals' significant signings in the last couple of years. What Those are primarily out of the bullpen, but nonetheless, getting what they thought they were getting is a big deal at this point. Especially because... I think if you just looked at last year alone, which is what initially the trade was for, just one year of Paul Goldschmidt, right? Because he was going to be a free agent after last year, right? Yeah. Um, If you had just looked at it that season alone, you know, compared to what Luke Weaver and Carson Kelly did in uh, Arizona, you could conclude that the Cardinals lost the trade. And, you know, it was, he was fine. Like he was, I, I think, a three-win player by both fan graphs and baseball reference. So he still had a good season, just not a Paul Goldschmidt season. Um, and when I say lost the trade, not in any sort of, like, you know, catastrophical You know, it, right. it wasn't terrible or anything like that. But I feel very comfortable with where they're at right now. I'm not missing 
uh, and certainly nothing against Carson Kelly and Luke Weaver, but I'm certainly not missing them right now. I'm very happy that Paul Goldschmidt is in this lineup. I guess we should point out that his uh, batting average on balls in play is much higher than his career. Uh, it's at 419 entering the night, and he's usually around 350. So, but you know, look, we weren't expecting him to finish the season with a 200 WRC plus. We know those numbers are going to come down a little bit. The point is, he looks really good. Yes, and Paul Goldschmidt looking really good makes this team look a whole lot better, I think. And there are still some holes, as you mentioned, in just maybe the consistency of this lineup. There's certainly plenty of potential, but the consistency has been a challenge, to say the least, the last couple of seasons. And even really to get things going so far this year, they've looked really great at times. They've looked really not great at times. I think Dylan Carlson finally getting that that first home run, getting that off of his back. I think there are some positives for what we've seen from Colton Wong, not every night, but just sort of in general. And then getting Paul DeYoung back, he was able to jump in and start contributing right away, as did Yadier Molina, who came up with a, what, a four for five night the day after he was added back to the roster. So those kinds of things seem to fall in line with what the Cardinals had hoped for this season as far as getting better by just being better on the field. But it uh, got off to a slow start uh, with the way that the layoff prevented them from diving right in. Although I think that the first couple of series were the indication that we needed that, oh, this is this is not going to be flawless. <laughs> this might have been an okay plan, but there's still going to be some challenges along the way. Has there been anyone else besides Paul Goldschmidt in the last week that you were surprised by or that you were concerned about based on the uh, continuing but small sample size that we've seen from this team? Well, I, I guess we could talk about Bader, um, although, you know, I think he's been covered pretty extensively by a lot of, you know, Cardinals blogs, including ours. Um, but, I, but real quickly, I want to mention Yadier Molina um, only because I saw a couple of days ago he was batting, I think, 300 or something or right around there. But his WRC plus was like 68. And I was like, wait, what's go- what is going on here? Then I realized <laughs> he doesn't have an extra base hit. No, they're all singles. <laughs> yeah, okay. I didn't I didn't know that until I looked to see what was going on there. Uh, and that that's such a Yadier Molina thing. It, it feels like that time, I believe it was in the 2017 season, when he put together like an 18-game hitting streak and batted like 285 during it or, or, or something. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, just yeah. enough to yeah, keep yeah. the streak very, alive. Very, uh, feels very Yadier-like, I guess. Uh it was nice to see, uh, obviously, Carlson hit that first home run. Um, I wouldn't mind – that said, I wouldn't mind seeing Tyler O'Neill getting a little more playing time th- than he's been getting. Uh, and I know Carlson had a game off the other night, but maybe resting him just a little bit more. You know, he still is just 21 years old. Um, it's so funny to hear, you know, me saying that cause I'd probably be the person, you know, whining about Carlson, not even, you know, being called up yet if, if that were the case. And now I'm saying he's playing too much, but, but I, I but I've thought Tyler O'Neill's looked decent when he's played this year. Uh, Bader obviously, uh, since, so I wasn't watching the game where he had the very bad air, which, uh, it was very bad. <laughs> it sounds like it was very bad. I still haven't seen it, but, uh, it's probably better that Sometimes way. It's fun when you haven't seen these things. You can just kind of imagine what maybe it looked like yeah. in your head. It wasn't Marcelo Zuna f- f- flying off the wall bad, but it was 
it was not good. Yeah, that's not what you want from Harrison Bader because you want no, him no. in the lineup for a reason, and that reason is usually not his bat. But obviously, it's nice uh, since then seeing him uh, kind of rebound, hit, hitting a couple home runs. Uh, he's, I've seen him get on base a couple times on hits that barely anyone else in the league is going to be safe. Yeah. Uh, just because he's so fast. You know, in fact, there was a hit like that that turned into a double the other night. And I said something on Twitter about Harrison Bader is going to go as far in his career as his speed will take him. And my point was, he's going to turn stuff like that into a hit often enough to keep him in a lineup, but his bat's not going to be the reason that he stays there. And then sure enough, I believe it was his next at bat. that was a two run homer that tied the game. And I was like, well, I've been wrong before. <laughs> well, I, I think uh, someone like him, and I believe we said this a lot last year, but you think about Yadier Molina right when his career began, and same with Ozzie Smith even. Um, you hope with someone like Harrison Bader that he's going to give you the type of defense that you almost don't care about his offense, but that only right. works if he has good offense around him. When yes. when he has just an okay or subpar offense around him, then you really notice uh, kind of a dark hole in the lineup. Um, and I don't think we would even really care about Harrison Bader's bat if if this was like the two thousand. Like if you put him on the two thousand four Cardinals, and no one is ever talking about his mm. bat. Um, but you have to play really good defense to do that too. And yeah. Uh, so yeah, if he's making crucial errors in the outfield, that obviously is not good, but I still think he is a valuable player. I still like him on this team. And so it was nice to see him have some good games because he was really getting hammered. Yeah. I, you know, I think the other thing too, and we talked about this when it happened initially when the Cardinals, introduced the victory blues and that whole off season, they paraded Harrison Bader around the year after he made his debut as kind of the face of the organization. I think that added, and this is totally veering off course of what we're going to talk about tonight, but while we're here, I might as well say it. I think that added just such an absurd version of pressure and expectation that was not really merited based on Yes, he had a good half season or whatever it was once he came up to the major league level that year, but it was different in its success than what he had done on the, the minor league level as far as his hitting and the home runs and the you know extra base hits and all that, whatever. So to then kind of put him all over the place as the, the new face of the organization, I think led to a lot of expectation that then leads to a lot of disappointment and a lot of fan reaction when he doesn't repeat that in you know the very next season that, I, I don't know, may contribute to some of the roller coaster. Because I think you're right. In theory, what Harrison Bader does offensively shouldn't be what defines his value to this team because that's not his strongest skill. But because he was kind of set up and propped up as this, you know, the 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 future of the St. Louis Cardinals, there was a weird level of expectation that came with that that probably wasn't fair and certainly had nothing to do with anything he did, but just kind of followed him naturally and has led to maybe some of the ups and downs as far as the reactions from the fan base that probably don't help a guy who's trying to figure it out. Uh, can I tell you my favorite uh, Harrison Bader criticism? Please. It's usually some of, oh, oh man, that was not good. All right. Um, You'll see it. Uh, mm -hmm. It's usually 
uh, I come across these on Twitter and someone says, uh, th- and this is when he was struggling, said, I wish he cared more about practicing uh, and getting better at baseball than he does fashion um, and, and trying to look cool and look good as, <laughs> as if instead of taking batting practice, he's like in the dugout shopping online or something. Right. Clothes. <laughs> I don't think, what is that? What does that have to do with anything? Like, I, has there any been any indication that he's not practicing or working hard on trying to improve his game because he's more interested in like the, his, like his look or his style? Like, is it just because he's a, decent looking human being people assume he's not working hard at baseball like it's always Mike Trout always, is not an ugly guy right no, he looks fine <laughs> like and he's actually awesome this one has nothing to do with the other no and that's always such an interesting criticism to me because it's we're talking about what he posts on social media right that's what people are seeing that's uh-huh. what they're criticizing I don't him on social but, media. Is but it, that's is a lot of clothes and uh, it is okay. but but the point is like what people are criticizing is what they see of him on social media. Yeah. But what do those people post on social media? Is it always about their job? Right. If it's not always about their job, then don't expect Harrison Bader to be as one dimensional as someone who always only ever shares anything publicly about his job. Yeah. Um, People can have multifaceted interests and, you know, still be committed to what they do. That's why that's such a, a bizarre comment to me because since he likes to share pictures of his wardrobe choices, that means he's not focused. I don't, I don't know what we're doing here. Yeah. I guess the only difference being like, no one is uh, paying money to like watch me at work. And, sure. And, well, but I mean, again, if he was doing it at work, then it'd be a problem. Right, yeah. Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at his Instagram. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I see some of these pictures. All right. Uh, and it is a little ridiculous. Kind of like I mean, Jim it's Edmonds uh, belly shirt going on, on one of these. Uh, yeah, there's yeah. there's a lot of there are a number of times where I will screenshot a Harrison Bader picture and send it to someone and just go, just say what. <laughs> <laughs> but that doesn't mean when he is at work or focusing on work that he's not paying attention to work. It just means that. He wears wears some weird clothes sometimes. Right, right. <laughs> but I have also heard just, you know, to sort of wrap this conversation up, that he is an incredibly hard worker sure and that he is. he is incredibly committed to trying to improve his craft. And let's be real, being a major league hitter is really hard. And every one of us that can sit at home and criticize him for not doing it well enough none of us are going to get up there and do it any better. So he's figured something out and that, that work has paid off to some degree, but it's great to see him get a little bit of momentum, see a little bit of that confidence come back when he's struggling. You can see it in every, every facial expression he makes all the body language says, I don't know what to do about this right now. And, uh, you know, I've also heard that he reads a lot of what people write and he knows what people are saying. He's very aware of that, which is probably not helpful to a young player trying to figure out how to adjust, but nonetheless, just be be aware of what you say. That's just on the internet, be aware of what you say, and um, maybe don't be so mean sometimes. That's all. Did you, uh, <laughs> did you see this throw from Carlson yet? Oh, there it is. Yeah. Just saw it. Not right on the Woo. money, but almost put Not Edmund in shabby. perfect position to make that tag. Yeah. That, that was great. And, that, and they needed that because... That's obviously a big difference runner on third with one out versus huge. no one yeah. out with two outs. So yeah. Um, Very huge. I'm just I'm just trying to decide 
when it was, don't get me wrong, Tyler O'Neill is a fine left fielder, but when it was that we saw a highlight play from left field for the Cardinals. <laughs> in a good way? In a good way, in a good way. <laughs> like a, like a positive, yeah. wow, look at this play, not a, did you see that yeah. play? Yeah, play? after years of Matt Holiday and Marcelo Zuna. Uh, yeah, we, Matt we, Adams. We, yeah, yeah, we haven't had a lot, I guess. That's a good, that's a good question. We may have yeah, just seen the first a, one in a while. It, it might be. That might be the first play that would make a highlight show in a positive way in like a decade <laughs> <laughs> from left field. So way to go, Dylan Carlson. Props to you for that. The Cardinals are clinging to a 4-3 lead right now. Adam Wainwright has definitely looked like he's struggling a bit more in this outing than he has in his previous two since coming back from that layoff. But as he so often does, grinding it out and trying to find a way to stay in this one. Thankfully, the offense put a few runs on the board there so far. But it is only the fifth inning, which means there's so much baseball left, Alex. They play nine innings. I know. It's going to be a late night. (laughs) Late night. Before we get to the rest of this game, though, let's get to the chirp of the week. What do you have for us this time? Okay, so uh, Justin Striebel, he's a notable uh, member of Cardinals Twitter. You know Justin, right? I do. He's like a very nice guy. Uh, he's much nicer than I would be if uh, if the refs were always against my teams. I don't know if you've noticed <laughs> this, but he has it's, bad, I have noticed. He has yeah. bad luck. The refs do not like his teams. No, no, never. And he, you know, no, he's not one of them. Way more gracious about it than I would be. Um, uh, <laughs> he's the best. We yeah, lo- yeah, no, we love I, Justin. I like, yeah, I, Justin's, Justin is awesome. Uh, so he asked on uh, Twitter uh, last week, uh, just out into the void, um, whether or not Matt Carpenter is the greatest, basically, player ever with the bases loaded. Because, you know, Few things make me uh, more excited than seeing Matt Carpenter come up with the bases loaded. Uh, because one, it's just nice always having the bases loaded for your team. But you know, you have a guy like Matt Carpenter who, in that situation, does something positive fifty percent of the time. You can't really get much better than that. So that's always a good thing. And so after Justin asked that, then uh, Shoptaw, our friend, reached out to me and said this would be a good chirp of the week. I thank him for that. The only thing, uh, you know. Uh, if I can't have someone else doing the trip of the week, if someone can just tell me what to do, that's almost as good. Uh, <laughs> so I thought I would check it out. I would look it up. Um, is Matt Carpenter the best player of all time with the bases loaded? Um, and I'm going to tell you this. He's not, but he is one of the best. Um, okay. And this is what I measured by. I, I went to StatHead. Again, that's the new uh, play index or whatever it's called at, at Baseball Reference, uh, StatHead. And I did a search for all players uh, in the situation with the bases loaded, uh, a minimum of 50 plate appearances. I figure if you've been up to bat at least 50 times in the majors with the bases loaded, that means you've been around at least a decent amount of time. And, and then I searched by OPS. Uh, so I, or I sorted by OPS, I should say. And Matt Carpenter has a 1.181 OPS with the bases loaded uh, for his career. And that's tied for 15th with Richard Rollins. Um, b- huh. Believe it or not, first place, Yenis Cespedes, 1.332. Oh, wow. uh, 
But I'll tell you what, and you know, stats get a little tricky back then because uh, they didn't really log everything as meticulously as they do now. But there's a very good chance that Lou Gehrig is the greatest player ever with the bases loaded. He uh, he has over 305 RBIs. Um, he also had a lot of plate appearances with the bases loaded, so I should probably uh, should probably note that as well. But A Rod is also was also very good with the bases loaded. Uh, who else do we have on this list? You know, a lot of names you'll recognize. Albert Bell. Um, but again, Matt Carpenter is right up there with some of the best. Uh, but I wanted to look at then Cardinals um, because after looking at baseball, I thought I should at least distill it down to the Cardinals. And I think you can make a pretty good case that Matt Carpenter is the best with ever with the bases loaded and i and i want to with the best cardinal ever with the bases loaded and i'm going to tell you the top five by ops but i'm not going to tell you who number two is Um, okay but number one is matt carpenter okay number two a player again i'm not gonna tell you who it is yet number three mystery player yeah mystery (laughs) mystery player number three is uh joe ducky medwick number four albert pujols and number five ted simmons so you know all five names you would expect to be up there uh, sure, sure. Or those four names, at least, since I didn't tell you the second. And I'll go ahead and give you six through ten. Why not? Keith Hernandez, Scott Rowland, Jim Bottomley, Bill White, Roger Hornsby. Rogers Hornsby. So again, all big names. Guys who could hit. Number two on this list, So Taguchi. What? Yeah, So Taguchi. <laughs> he, and he just got there. He, he had exactly 50 plate appearances um, with the bases loaded. And I swear okay. I didn't choose that as a minimum because it would be as a good way to, you know, shoehorn Taguchi into this, <laughs> into this list. Cause we all love So Taguchi and of course. a list with So Taguchi is better than a list without So Taguchi. But yeah, he is number two on this list. But let me tell you what's even more amazing about this. So Taguchi, I'm going to go back to all of MLB. Okay. Okay. Same parameters as earlier. Minimum 50 play appearances. So Taguchi leads everyone in batting average. He batted. He had a career batting average of 512 with the bases loaded. No one huh. else is that close. Uh, wow. Second place, Lance Richburg f- with a 511 career batting average. Third place, Matt Carpenter, 491. Uh, so Taguchi also leads all of baseball all time. In on base percentage at 510. Now you may ask yourself, how can someone have a higher batting average than on base? Because again, he had a 512 batting average and a 510 on base. I'm assuming that has to do with the sack fly, right? Which does not count okay. against your batting average, but it does sure. count against your on base. So I'm assuming that's what's going on there. So Sotoguchi, our friend Sotoguchi, in the history of Major League Baseball, for players with at least 50 plate appearances with the bases loaded, Leads all of baseball in both batting average and on base. Uh, and I'll tell you what, he slugged 707 too, which is pretty darn <laughs> good. Um, not enough to be in the top, but I'll tell you what, it's number 28 all time. So, so those are some pretty solid numbers from uh, Mr. Taguchi. Uh, that, that is uh, impressive. Yeah, really cool, right? That said, it's still probably Matt Carpenter as the best Cardinal ever with the bases loaded, even though he falls just short uh first uh in terms of batting average and on base but if you look at his slugging if you look at his total body of work um and the fact that he also has 32 more plate appearances than uh so Taguchi mm. with the base yep. loaded i really think you have to give it to carpenter um 
Now I'll just give you some of the compiled stats, kind of all time. Most played appearances ever with the bases loaded, Yadier Molina, believe it or not. Wow. Uh, for the okay. Cardinals. Uh, 224, that just edges out Stan Musial, who had 220. Most hits <laughs> all time, Yadier Molina with 64. Uh, most Grand Slams, Albert Pujols with 12. He had 12 Grand Slams with the huh. Cardinals. RBIs, Stan Musial with 188. Run scored, Stan Musial with 263. And I think that just about does it. Wow. That's your history of Cardinals with a bit. We've had a lot of good Cardinals. You know, Cardinals have had a lot of good players with the bases loaded. The Cardinals have had a lot of opportunities in the last two weeks with the bases have, loaded. It right? feels yeah. like every time I turn around, the bases are loaded again. I, I know he doesn't quite have uh, 50 play appearances to his name uh, with the bases loaded, uh, although at this rate it won't be long. But uh, so far, Dylan Carlson is not anywhere near this leaderboard. No. <laughs> uh, he, He's probably like halfway to that number yeah, at this yeah. point, right? Yeah. Feels like it. <laughs> he's had some bad luck, though, on some of those uh, trips to the plate, yeah. but he's going to come around soon, I'm confident. And that's there you go. That's your trip of the week. He's no so to Gucci, at least not yet, but no, there's time. No. He's still young. Few are. <laughs> Few are. Uh, gotta love that so to Gucci. That's awesome. I love when a guy like that sneaks onto a list that you don't expect him on and just goes to show, man, the Cardinals have had some of those players that have come up big in certain scenarios that you might not think of just based on their overall career numbers. But, you know, like you said, every everybody loves so to Gucci and a list with him on it. <laughs> is always a good thing. So thank you for sharing that, for finding that. Thank you to uh, Justin and Daniel Shoptoff for inspiring that chirp of the week. If you have any other ideas yeah, for comment. comments or questions or suggestions for chirp of the week stats, send them over, man. Uh, I make Alex do this every week because he's better at it than I am, but I'm sure he could use a break in trying to come up with something interesting. So and, and I do, you ever I, I do are like curious? Doing it. I don't want to give the wrong idea. I do enjoy doing it. No, no, no. It, so, yeah. Sure. Sure. Yeah. But uh, it does get a little bit, uh, complicated sometimes to come up with the best possible ideas to look into. So if there's a question you have or a stat you want to know about, send it our way and we'll try to get Alex to dig into it and find something cool like Sotoguchi being great with the bases loaded. But as far as this show goes, that will do it. We're going to wrap it up with the Cardinals leading and hope that stays true by the end of the night. And then by the time you listen to this, that will continue to be the case and the Cardinals will have won another game. Uh, knock on wood while you're listening, not while you're listening, because it'll be over by then. I'll do it now <laughs> so that hopefully this uh, this lead holds. We're in the sixth inning. Adam Wainwright back out there again, clinging to that one-run lead, and we'll see what happens. But that will do it for us tonight. For Alex, I'm Tara. We'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.